Hi there, it's David Corzo, and welcome to The Climate Gist. On this podcast, we chat with the sharpest minds disrupting climate change and sustainable business to bring you the latest trends, unveil groundbreaking innovations, and whip up a storm of ideas. Get inspired and create actionable solutions to change the world, one conversation at a time. Howdy, dear change makers, and welcome to the first episode of The Climate Guest. We're so excited to have you around. In this podcast, we will talk to remarkable professionals and entrepreneurs who are changing the world and tackling the biggest problem we are facing, climate change. I'm David Corzo, your host, and I'm mighty happy to see you. Today, we're talking with Luis Gerardo Carvajal Fernandez, Sustainability Operations Specialist for Siemens Energy in Mexico, Central America, and the Caribbean, Venture Architect at Siemens Energy Ventures, Climate Activist, and Mentor for Early Stage Startups on Climate Tech and Biotech. Luis, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you, David. I'm very excited to be here. Amazing. So first things first, could you tell us about your personal story and how did you start getting involved in climate tech and climate change overall? For sure. Uh, thank you for the question. I really like you know to know about the background of the people working on this because they always, always have you know these types of elements in common. Uh, love for nature, most of the times connection with nature, And it was my case. Since I was a child, I have been always uh, connected to nature, to animals, you know, having pets, but not only that, but also, and I discovered until recently that since I have ADHD, so anxiety and hyperactivity, I was very much stimulated. And nature was the place where I could feel safe. And now I only realize it, but it was something that I always felt like the best place to be. I always felt at peace. But then when I was younger, when I was in high school, I started volunteering in some social projects in the Sierra of Puebla in Mexico, which is basically a set of mountains where there are some communities in vulnerability. And I had the opportunity to see them and to see the impact that some of the activities of, for example, open pit mining were causing to them. So it was a big shock for me to see how the nature that I always loved so much suddenly was being destroyed by something that I knew that it could be better. I knew that there were practices that didn't mean destroying basically half of the Sierra just to get the minerals. So I was very discouraged at, and at the same time motivated to do some impact. So after all of these projects, I joined university and I wanted to see what to study. I had a big struggle with choosing my bachelor since I was into engineering, into science, into social at the same time. So at the end, I made the decision to learn about mechatronics engineering because I really like the field of combining, you know, electronics, mechanics, some computer science. And at the same time, my decision from that time was the following. Everything that I learned from that, I would use it in the future for the well-being and for fighting this crisis. At the moment, I didn't see it as a climate crisis. I only saw it as ecosystem destruction, but when I got into all of these topics and I got the opportunity to get trained by Climate Reality, uh, this large organization that Al Gore started on climate action, I got to see really the impact of climate change. You know, it was not only about global warming, but about the effects that it can have in almost or if not all of the ecosystems that we have, all of the natural systems like 
the water cycle, carbon cycle, etc. I saw the impact and the big, huge pressing risk it has on society. So that's when I started during university. And then I got the opportunity to start doing it professionally at Siemens Energy after winning one of their Siemens Energy transformation challenges. I had a proposal among with my team called Hydrop, which is basically a green hydrogen energy storage system. We won first place nationally, and then we started working in the company and developing the idea. I think that's basically trying to packing everything into a summary, but that's the story. I mean, it's very interesting. And I think uh, what you mentioned is very important to say. Uh, one of my personal beliefs, and this was something that um, I talked to with a person a couple of months ago, and hopefully I can have her on the podcast in the next couple of episodes. But uh, one of the main things is that every job is a sustainability job. So I, I definitely understand this struggle of whether deciding on, on, on which field to focus. However, it is very important to know, like for our listeners, that regardless of what they are doing, they can make a difference in climate change by doing whatever they're doing, regardless if they're lawyers, if they're, uh, I don't know, like marketing specialists, whatever is like a very a, a sustainability a sustainability job. And it's very important to have their involvement. But on yeah. this note, I got to say your resume is quite impressive. You've done everything from climate activism to being a sustainability operations specialist. Could you share some insights into what you do at Siemens Energy and some insider's perspective for the future of clean energy in Latin America? For sure. And I think it's quite a big topic when the second part of the question, but just to begin, uh, my current occupation at Siemens Energy is to work on the decarbonization of our operations which is basically everything that has to do with the terms, you know, referring to scope one and two of our emissions. Uh, maybe to some listeners that are not so familiar with this, scopes mean like the ways in you are accountable for the emissions that you have. So scope one means that you have full accountability for the emissions because basically you are, for example, burning a fossil fuel directly. Scope two means that you are indirectly doing it, for example, uh, by consuming electricity that is produced by fossil fuels. And scope three means things that you are doing as activities that have a carbon impact, but you don't have much control or at least direct control in what to do. So basically I focus on scope one and two, at least for the region that covers Mexico, Central America, and the Caribbean. Well, until recently, because I got the opportunity to be co-leading a squad, focusing on decarbonization for not only the region, but also the whole Latin America, you know, encompassing also Brazil, Colombia, South America, and so on. So I think that it's very interesting because the way that we approach it, in contrast with other organizations, at least in Mexico, is that we have sustainability and innovation in the same office. So basically we have the innovation and sustainability office, and this gives us a great set of tools because we don't only offer you know, the basic solutions out of the portfolio of how to become less pollutant, more sustainable in every aspect, but we also include the innovation aspect. So we can create new solutions that have never seen before just to solve these problems regarding not only carbon, because I say decarbonization a lot, but it's also resource efficiency, water usage, biodiversity, social impact, all of these topics. So that's for the first part of the question. And for what I see for Latin America, I think that 
you know, as with the different paths analogy, I think that we are in a crossroad right now. We can go really, really well, or we can back off and be in a slope down that goes very quick. And that's the reason because we can choose either to become greener and to focus on all of the natural resources that we have a lot of them. We have a lot of solar, we have a lot of wind, we have hydropower, we have wave power because of the seas that we have, the oceans of Pacific Atlantic, but we can also go in the business as usual. And the thing here is that I see that in some countries there is a lot of push towards, for example, renewables, but in others there is a focus still on fossil fuels. Even there is going to be more investment in some places on, you know, uh, petrol refining and things like that. When, of course, we know that it's not going to disappear, but the focus should be, at least in my perspective, focus more on the technologies of the future. So if it goes well, if we go on the side of renewables and impact, Latin America and the Americas in general has huge potential to be a hub for the world in terms of renewable energy and the different energy vectors. I, I think that's something also very important. I, I find it crazy that we thought of this like renewable future as something far away in the future. Uh, however, I just read a couple of, I think a couple of weeks ago or a month or something uh, about how in the US for the first time, renewable energy, I think if I'm not mistaken, solar uh, generated more electricity than fossil fuels in the country. Well, yeah, I think it's something like that. Correct me because it sounds wrong now that I'm saying it, but it oh, had yeah, it's kind of like that. I, I believe that, and I might also be wrong in the specific terms, but it was that the new projects for solar were bigger than the new projects for fossil fuels for the year. Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, I, it sounded wrong the second I said it, <laughs> but you know, it's good to have you here. Uh, so yeah, it's something. It's something crazy to think about. It's something crazy to think that this was something that was looked as something very much in the future, but it's definitely a trend that's happening worldwide. And, you know, as you mentioned before, you're also a green hydrogen uh, expert. And I think green hydrogen is also another big trend happening, not only in Latin America, but in the whole world. But Latin America has like a big potential to produce this green hydrogen. Uh, because of what you mentioned, because of the great potential it has for wind and solar. So here's my question. Green hydrogen is gaining attention as a potential game changer in decarbonizing various industries. Can you explain the concept of green hydrogen and its significance in reducing global CO2 emissions? For sure. I think that hydrogen is a concept that some people see as very distant from them. But I always like to start talking about hydrogen by talking about water, because everyone knows at some level that water is called H2O and basically the H2 within the molecule of water is hydrogen. So it's interesting to think whenever we are talking about the colors of hydrogen and the hydrogen future and so on, that basically our lives depend on hydrogen in the way that the molecule is in most of our body and most of the world as a molecule for life. So at the same time, hydrogen is one of the fuels that are burning uh, mostly in most of the stars by nuclear fusion to produce the light and radiation that happens and that heats up our world. So if I start from this analogy, hydrogen is something that we already use and we live because of hydrogen in, a, in an indirect way. And now we are just starting to realize the full potential that it has not only for 
let's say, life in this romanticized way, but also in the way that we do our energy, in the way that we power our, you know, our society, our businesses, and so on. Because hydrogen, at the end of the day, is not a form of energy. I would say rather hydrogen is a vector. Basically, it's a way in which you can store a very large amount of energy by mass. And it has some things great and some challenges that we are still working our way out of them. So first of all, the colors of hydrogen. The hydrogen right now has a, a, like a rainbow, right? You can find many new colors of hydrogen mostly every month of specific terms that people have. But in general, you can classify hydrogen by being gray hydrogen if it comes from natural gas or from some fossil fuels in a specific chemical process. You can say about sometimes black hydrogen if it becomes from coal. And some people refer to blue hydrogen if the hydrogen basically is the gray hydrogen, but you capture the carbon and then you can store it or do something else with the carbon. But green hydrogen, on the other hand, is hydrogen that doesn't require fossil fuels in its production. It basically is done by this process called electrolysis. It's a chemical process, electrochemical process that splits the molecule of water in H2, the molecule of hydrogen, and O2, the molecule of, of oxygen. So you do this by putting charge, a uh, voltage differential between two metallic plates that have a certain level of conductivity. And well, that's the basis of electrolysis, but there are many other technologies, but basically it's the same. You break down the hydrogen from the water molecule, and then you keep the hydrogen as a gas, or it can be as a liquid if you pressurize it and cool it down, or it can be even as a, as a solid. There are ways in which you can put hydrogen like a, in a metal sponge. It's called metal hydrates, and you can store it like this. So what's the power that it has in reducing CO2 emissions? Basically, is that if you have green hydrogen, you can replace many fuels with it. Hydrogen is a gas that can be uh, combustible, so you can do combustion on hydrogen, and it has a flame that has a lot of uh, energy and at the same time a lot of heat. So one of the things that people say about hydrogen, and that's one of the reasons they are scared of hydrogen, is that it is invisible, so you cannot see the hydrogen gas. So that's why some people are scared, because even if you have a hydrogen flame, the flame is invisible in contrast with, for example, a fire where you can see the, the reds and so on. You could be directly in front of a hydrogen flame and don't, don't notice unless you feel the heat. But that's not supposed to be a challenge, but it's just a fact about hydrogen. And the potential that it has for reducing the CO2 emissions is that basically you can use it to replace most of the fossil fuels, either by you know doing direct combustion of hydrogen or by putting it into a gas turbine and producing power or by producing direct power from doing the exact reverse. So the way that you, you know, you put electricity to produce hydrogen and oxygen from water, you can do exactly the opposite. You can combine hydrogen and oxygen and you get power and water. Interesting. Yeah, I've been reading a lot of this and, you know, despite the multiple benefits green hydrogen brings as a carbon neutral energy source, um, critics have still raised a lot of concerns about it, including safety issues, for example. Uh, could you elaborate more on the main challenges on the development and adoption of green hydrogen in the region and around the world? And also, how do you envision overcoming these challenges and making green hydrogen a viable and safe energy solution on a larger scale? 
Um, I think that this question has many parts, right? One is that hydrogen, of course, is unsafe if you handle it in a way that you would handle uh, any sort of liquid or an inert gas like helium. But it is even safer in some ways than some gases like natural gas. It has different qualities on it, but uh, in, a, in essence, if you have the appropriate safety measures and you have you know, the appropriate tanks to, to uh, store it and the methodologies to use it, it can be as safe as natural gas is today, and it could be even safer. Uh, for example, the way of storing hydrogen that I was telling you about before, the metal hydrates, are basically a sponge that releases hydrogen, but the way that it releases hydrogen is by temperature. You have to kind of heat the metal hydride for it to release the hydrogen. And the great thing about this is that even if you poke a hole into the tank, it will release hydrogen at a fixed rate. So it will not like leak or explode in instantaneously. There is actually a very cool video that is very famous among this topic where a person literally shoots a bullet to one of these tanks and they realize that it doesn't explode. Of course, it has a flame and you can see that the flame can burn through some materials, but it doesn't impose a risk as big as, you know, like a natural gas truck exploding uh, because of a highway accident. So first is the way that you are transporting it. The way I say it, there are many new ways of transporting hydrogen that are not unsafe. The other thing I think needs to come from regulation. As I was saying before, if we had the same regulations that we have for hydrogen as we have now for natural gas, it would be so, so much easier to do so. But the thing is that many countries, including Mexico, don't have any regulation specific to hydrogen. So that makes it super difficult to have any standard. So people try to kind of adapt the solutions to other gases, but you know, hydrogen has its own characteristics. So I think the roadmap to overcoming these challenges is a lot of policy making and a lot of the industry standards driving the transition, you know, because like with the car industry, right? When you have a car, it's not only about the engine, but you also have to have factories that make the plastics and the doors and the glass and so on. So with hydrogen, you also need industries that drive the balance of plant components, the metal tanks for storing, and the electrolyzers and so on. Yeah, I got to say that Mexico has a, a little bit of work uh, to catch up with um, mostly like the rest of the world, especially regarding like, you know, fossil fuels. Uh, I don't know if you remember in, back in 2021, like the whole thing with the electric reform and just like the whole boost with fossil fuels that uh, the executive power wanted to do. So, yeah. Um, however, there are other countries in Latin America that are also really good for this. I think that uh, Siemens Energy specifically close, has a deal with Panama uh, for, uh, I think it's hydrogen storage, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that's also something very interesting. And I mean, not to talk about Brazil, uh, where they are just like installing up to like 80 wind turbines dedicated specifically to hydrogen. I think that most, well, not most countries, but a lot of countries in Latin America are looking to become uh, hydrogen, green hydrogen exporters in the near future, mainly for Europe and Asia. So I think that this rise in demand will help uh, build this policy making that is more than necessary to ensure 
uh, a regulated and safe hydrogen, which it's safer than natural gas, as you're saying. Uh, so yeah, as I said, Latin America's ambition to become a significant player in green hydrogen production is quite noteworthy. Uh, could you discuss the strategic advantages of Latin American countries in harnessing green hydrogen's potential? And what role do you see these countries playing in the global energy transition in the coming decades? You know, I think it's a great question because of what you started to say. Uh, for example, what you said about Siemens Energy with Panama is not like we are in so much of a... We are doing progress, of course, but we signed a memorandum of understanding. So the great thing about these types of agreements is that basically it says there is an intention from the government to develop these solutions with the private sector. So we have a lot of those in the region. Many com companies have it in different things, like not only hydrogen production, but conversion. One topic that has gained a lot of popularity is that once you have the hydrogen, you can convert it into e-fuels by, for example, it can turn into green ammonia or green methanol, depending on the chemical process you do. So I think that what makes us great as Latin America, first of all, uh, we do have a lot of potential in terms of renewables, as we were saying. We have solar, we have wind, and these all are forms of renewable energy that can be used to power green hydrogen. There is also this concept of pink hydrogen, with, which relates to nuclear power, but this is not as much explored in Latin America, what green hydrogen is. So we have a lot of potential for the production. And the thing is that taking into account the natural resources that we have and the supply chain and so on, many predictions say that Latin America could be one of the lowest cost of uh, hydrogen. It's called levelized cost of hydrogen, basically the dollars per kilowatt hour or per kilogram, usually per kilogram. And the thing is that we can have potential to have one of the best prices worldwide. So of course, as you were saying, like people are trying to build a market for something that is not there yet, which is great. I think this talks a lot about the vision that we have for energy transition, because as of today, I can tell you that green hydrogen is super expensive in many countries and it's not cost effective, but people are paying for it nevertheless because they believe in the potential of transition to green energy and they know that it has to be expensive before it becomes cheaper. The same way that happened to solar PV in the US that it used to be hundreds of dollars per kilowatt and now is cents or 0.1 cents in some cases, you know, so that I think there is that potential that we can have a great amount of costs. We have a lot of the even technical expertise. You know, there is a lot of great researchers in universities here in Latin America. And finally, but not least important, our geography. We are the best place, some of the best places to deliver either to Europe, to Asia and to the US, which are some of the best markets of hydrogen, at least projected to the future. So basically our location makes us a perfect place for distributing green hydrogen in different locations. Yeah, specifically because uh, as you as you mentioned before, earlier during this episode, uh, about the huge potential of Latin America uh, regarding renewable energies. So I think very much like this decreasing costs for solar and wind are also like very much hand in hand with uh, the green hydrogen production. And also just like, just like really taking advantage of our natural resources as Latin America, which, you know, we have a lot of 
just, just, just we have we have a lot of potential in this in this field. Uh, but yeah, basically those were all, all of my questions. Uh, I do want to ask before we wrap up, is there anything else that I should have asked during the episode? Mm, I think that people, it's going to be something weird to say, but people in, when they are asked about energy, they are always asked about generating energy and renewable energy. But I have not seen enough people talking about energy transmission. And I believe that is the bottleneck for renewables, at least in the Americas. You know, there are a lot of green energy projects that are basically ready to go and deliver green power, but our grid is getting old and it's not adapted to renewable energy. So I think that is going to be one of the biggest challenges, at least in Latin America. And I think it needs to be more to talk more about. Yeah, yeah. That in hand with also any energy storage, which yeah. is also a huge thing, a huge deal right now. And, you know, like just getting rid of lithium, well, not getting rid of lithium, but replacing it with something more sustainable. But exactly. yeah, thanks a lot, Luis. Uh, where can our audience connect with you and keep up to date with what you guys are doing at Siemens Energy? Sure, uh, they can find me in LinkedIn as Luis Gerardo Carvajal. Uh, well, maybe it's a little different, difficult, like, you know, Latin American names for some, but I think you can find it here in the podcast. Uh, in Instagram, I am as... Luis Gerardo C-A-R and uh, I think, yeah, on TikTok I am at Luis Gerardo C-A-R 99, so you can find me in either of those. Perfect. And for Siemens Energy, yeah, we have the networks in LinkedIn, we have Twitter, and we don't have an Instagram, but we do have Facebook. Super, amazing. I'm going to include all of this, all of these networks in the footnotes of the episode, so you guys can go check it out. And yeah, go check out what Siemens Energy is doing to keep up with Luis's work. Luis, it's been a pleasure having you in the show. Thanks for sharing your journey with us. David, the pleasure is mine. Thank you so much. And remember, you can find us on Instagram as at TheClericon. That's T-H-E-C-L-A-I-R-C-O-N on LinkedIn as Claire Project. And you can find me on Instagram as It's David Corzo. It was a pleasure having you around. And until next time, friends. That's a wrap. Join us on our next episode at The Climate Gist. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram as at TheClericon or on my personal profile as It's David Corzo. Till next time.